as a woman and someone who's organized and always trying to control everything, I want to know what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? I need to stop blaming myself. A lot of times I think about like, how did I bring these three beautiful boys into this world who may lose their mom at a very young age? I felt guilty and I shouldn't because it's not my fault that I got cancer. Kristen Gentile is a wife, a mom to three amazing little superheroes, Bradley, Christian, and Dean, and the head of global go-to-market operations and communications at SAP Success Factors, who is trying to keep it together while battling stage four metastatic breast cancer. She's also the host of the Making the Breast of It podcast, which aims to educate, enlighten and inspire others as she shares her raw and unfiltered journey battling this terminal illness while facing mortality head on. In today's episode, Kristen shares with us her unique take on life and how she navigated marriage, motherhood and a career while battling a terminal illness. Despite being in the midst of this uphill battle and having her world turned upside down by cancer, Kristen is determined to still make the breast of it. We know you're in for an inspiring episode with a larger-than-life and outrageously brave woman like Kristen. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hey, Kristen, we're so grateful that you're joining us all the way from Philadelphia for this very important conversation and we look forward to sharing your inspiring story with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I love what you guys are doing. I think your podcast is amazing. I'm hooked. I love listening and I'm so psyched to be here. Thank you. Awesome. We're equally psyched, especially after we learned that you're a fellow podcaster and we'll definitely dive into that a little bit later on. So Kristen, you were 35 in the summer of 2017, living the, I would say, dream life with a career at SAP, happily married with two sons under the age of three, and then pregnant with your third when cancer unfortunately reared its head in the form of stage three breast cancer. So can you share with us how you first discovered that you had breast cancer? Absolutely. I was getting dressed for work one day and I randomly felt a lump while I was putting my bra on. And I thought, Hey, that's, that's really strange. I've never felt that before. And I had mentioned it to my husband, like this, this is strange because, you know, you hear so many young women who say, Oh, I went to the doctor because I felt a lump, but it turned out to be nothing. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this is cancer, but he's a little more of a hypochondriac than I am. So he said, I don't, I don't like the way this feels. I think you should call. And it wasn't until we found out that I was pregnant with Dean and I went to my ultrasound appointment that I actually had it checked out. And I can't thank my OBGYN enough because she was the one who initially said, you know what? I think you're really young for cancer but I don't like the way this feels and let's be safe. Not sorry. I want you to go see my breast surgeon. So I always give her so much credit because she basically saved my life. I was already pretty much advanced at that point when we did find the lump, it had already spread to my lymph node. So if I hadn't gone to her breast surgeon immediately, my staging would have been a lot higher and the spread would have happened a lot quicker. So it was a really slow moment because I 
filled the lump in April, late May. And then I was officially diagnosed in June after seeing my OBGYN's breast surgeon who did a biopsy. Mm. Take us through your emotions. How did you feel when that realization of cancer is in my body? When that dawned upon you, how did you feel? I immediately went into shock and disbelief. I could not believe my ears. I thought, how is this possible? I'm 35. I'm pregnant. What does that even mean? So I almost shut down a little bit and had a hard time even saying the words, even just telling people. It was really difficult to tell my family. Obviously, John, my husband, was there with me when, right after I had gotten the phone call, when they told me, yes, this is definitely cancer. We need to bring you back in and talk about surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. We suspect this is stage two, maybe stage three. So not early stage by any means. And at that point, there were still so many unknowns with, can you carry a pregnancy being on chemotherapy? Because at this point, I was only about 22 weeks pregnant, I would say. So it was very early in the first trimester. There were a lot of questions. You never really hear about women being diagnosed with cancer while they're pregnant. So I shut down and I was really nervous to tell my parents. I was really nervous to tell my friends because I didn't have all the answers. And I knew that this would make their own thoughts spiral and them for to become really emotional. So on top of being really emotional and distraught myself, I was also harboring a lot of emotions because I was so worried about everyone else. And Sarah, I know your mom went through this as well. And you know what it's like when someone you love is going through cancer, there's nothing you can do. You can be there to support them, but you can't control the outcome. So it's really tough on the cancer patient as well if they are more of an empath because they they really worry about other everyone else's emotions as well, if that makes sense. It was tough. It was a really, really dark time. Absolutely. And, you know, Kristen, hearing you talk about just that whole experience of when you first received that news, you know, did you also get into a stage of denial, maybe? Absolutely. Because I've always been really healthy. I've always had a healthy diet. I love to exercise. I grew up being a dancer and I played some sports. I was on the crew team in high school. Health and fitness has always just been part of my lifestyle. And being so young to be diagnosed, it it just didn't add up. And I kept thinking to myself, like, that's they got the wrong biopsy. They that's the wrong mammogram. Nope, nope, not me, not me. It just doesn't make sense. It's, this cannot be. And once I started talking to the doctors and I started to learn this is more common than you think. And unfortunately, sometimes when you are pregnant, the pregnancy hormones can drive the cancer. So extra estrogen in your body or progesterone, they can really help drive the cancer cells, unfortunately. And no one knows for sure, but it seems like in my case, that's why it started to be aggressive and spread more quickly. So even today, having a reoccurrence in my head, I still sometimes think that's not me. Nope, not me. I don't have cancer. And every day I wake up and I try not to focus on the cancer. Some days um, it's very real and other days it still does not feel real dealing with it four years later. 
And that's why your story is all the more important. And, you know, we really love the fact that you created a podcast about it to spread awareness and to even talk about the sort of lighter side of things and choosing to focus on the positive and what you can control, which we'll definitely unpack a bit more later on. But, you know, touching on your pregnancy, your bundle of joy and your miracle baby that was actually delivered in 2018. Dean, baby Dean, he was healthy, albeit six weeks early. But in June 2019, the unthinkable happened where the bliss of motherhood to your third child took a sharp turn when you then found out later on that you were actually diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. So Mm -hmm. just to start off, for those of our listeners who have not heard of the word metastatic, maybe you can give them a brief explanation of what metastatic means and also how did you process that news? Absolutely. So when I initially got diagnosed as stage three, stage three is typically when your tumor is larger than three centimeters and or it has spread to your lymph nodes in your body. So We have lymph nodes underneath our armpits and in our groin and other places on our body. And when cancer first starts to spread from your breast, it immediately goes to your lymph nodes first. And they call that stage three or stage four. And when you get to stage three, your chances of survival, they really start to decline. When stage four happens, they spread from not only your breast and your lymph nodes, but also to either your bones, your liver, your lungs, or your brain. It can also go to other spots, but typically these are the first spots they go to. So for me, I was in the gym one day at work, my corporate gym at SAP. I was in the middle of a HIIT training class, which is high intensity interval training. I jumped off the floor onto a box, which we call box jumps. As soon as I landed on that box, I felt a shooting pain up my spine and I thought, oh my gosh, what the heck is that? Now, I knew that a reoccurrence was a possibility, but we were only about a year from when I had finished treatment. So it didn't even cross my mind that maybe the cancer had come back. I thought to myself, oh, I need to go to a chiropractor. I need to go to a physical therapist. Let me see what's going on. I must have a sports injury. And maybe it's just, you know, a side effect from chemo. Maybe it's a little bit of arthritis or something because after the cancer, after the baby, after chemo, radiation, the doctors put me on hormone therapy to suppress the estrogen in my body, which was driving the cancer. So I'm thinking this is just a side effect from my medication. But after an x-ray and a bone scan, we found out that the cancer was in my bones now. So still breast cancer just traveled through my lymph nodes, through my bloodstream, into my bones. So this was Father's Day weekend, uh, 2019. And I cried for probably the first time throughout everything. Because when I was stage three, I knew that I could make it through all these treatments. I would handle it and be there for my family, my boys, and just keep my positive outlook. But when you hear stage four terminal cancer, it's so heavy. You just can't believe it because the statistics on stage four metastatic breast cancer is a three-year median lifespan. I'm already two years in at this point in time. So when you think to yourself, maybe only have three more years to live, it's the darkest 
most depressing phone call you could ever receive in your entire life. And that's when I really broke down when I was talking to my oncologist on the phone. I said, I almost don't believe you. How can this be possible? I'm so vibrant and so full of life and have so much more life to live. How can this be possible? And again, I, I still maintained my healthy lifestyle and we did so much chemo, so much radiation. We know it's not guaranteed that it's not going to come back, but why so quickly? And why me? All of these questions were just overcoming my emotions. And I really shut down again after I started to cry hysterically with my oncologist. And how do you share that news with your family, especially your husband? knowing that you have these three beautiful little boys who are still so young too in diapers still. It was really, really tough. It was a really dark time in my life. And I'm happy to say that today I am dealing with it in a more positive way, as positive as I can be. And that's where the podcast really came into play. It was, this is just a crazy story but we know we're not alone. So why not share this with the world and start this community for people? Because there really wasn't one for metastatic breast cancer or anyone else going through a really chronic disease. I just Mm -hmm. really wanted to take this opportunity in case you need even a kind reminder for yourself how admirable that is, because through this journey, you have created a community out of the podcast, right? So for those of you who have not heard or checked it out, we definitely recommend that you check out Kristen's podcast called Making the Breast of It. And I personally checked out the episodes and love that you approach each of these episodes with such humor honesty, education, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, fun. It's not that you are trying to make light of the situation, but instead to find the light in what can be otherwise a very dim situation. So yeah, on that note, Kristen, tell us a little bit about how the idea of making the breast podcast come about. So I have an MBA like you ladies, and I also have a communications degree. So when I was in college, I took a lot of courses in radio, TV, podcasts weren't a thing back then when I was in college, but I worked in marketing for years and communications. And I had some podcast experience with SAP from way back in 2007 and eight, when the technology had just started, we were doing a lot of podcasts with SAP employees internally, specifically salespeople. And my husband, John has been in radio for years. He was working for Clear Channel. And he turned me when I started radiation, the stage four diagnosis, I'll never forget. We were in the car on the way to radiation. And he said, I think you should start a podcast. And I said, Ooh, I don't know. People really want to listen to me. They have to share the world. And he said, I don't know anybody else who's this positive and has this much of a positive outlook and can find a humor in this and can find the silver linings in this. I think you need to share that message with the world because whether or not it's stage zero cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, lymphoma, or MS, or you know, the death of a loved one, everybody can relate to such a devastating situation. I think it would be really powerful for you to share the education and to share with young women. You should feel your breast on the first of every month because you're not too young to get cancer, unfortunately. And it's important to share with them, you know, 
here are the cancer organizations that really matter. Here are the ones who actually take your donations and put that money towards the research. There's so much that goes into breast cancer and cancer in general that people are unaware of because a lot of the times you have people who do these interviews who are, God knows I love my doctors, too technical, too medical. You need to dumb it down for people and really give them that grandmother factor, explain it to them like you would explain it to your grandmother, right? And also keep that humor and make fun of the fact that, yes, I have chemo brain. So we literally do a chemo brain show every episode and make fun of the fact that my memory is not what it used to be. And I'm a little foggy and I'm a little hazy. Sometimes I can't really think on my feet that well. So why not share other women's stories and empower them and just make people feel good and inspire them and enlighten them and educate them. And I thought to myself, I can do that. That's no problem, but are people going to listen? And it turns out people do listen and people love it. And some people do have cancer. Some people don't. I'm amazed at the people who reach out to me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and just via our website. It's great. I've connected with so many women out there who are dealing with the same thing we really started to build this community of breasties and I'm so proud of what we've built. And I'm in shock still that people want to listen to me behind the microphone. I'm sure you ladies know what that's like. It's a little bit of an imposter syndrome. You feel like no one wants to listen to me, but it, it's stuck and it's working. And it's one of those things that helps me get out of bed every day in the morning, right? Because I still have this diagnosis, but I still have so many incredible things and so many incredible opportunities because of this podcast that never would have happened. So that's the way I like to look at it. And that's the message I like to share. I think it's incredibly empowering, Kristen, to hear you say that. I think that we 100% resonate with the imposter syndrome factor because it's only been a short like two months or so since we launched this podcast. And it's quite shocking sometimes where we hear from people that even complete strangers who write into us and say, you know, such and such episode has really changed the way I look at certain things and has really helped me reflect on certain Mm -hmm. issues a bit more. And certainly your podcast is so powerful and having you share your story so authentically, so vulnerably, needless to say, that's very transformative indeed, especially to all the listeners out there, especially those who are also going through cancer. I think they would feel a little less lonely knowing that someone else out there is experiencing the same lows that that they do experience. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from both of you. And I'm so impressed with how well you are running this podcast. I I have to like, I just have to say that your hair is really glorious. Like I was really blown away by your podcast cover, you know, with your hair flying and now like in the skin, I'm like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much. So, you know, what's actually funny. I'm back on chemotherapy right now because I do have a little bit of progression the medication I was taking has run its course. And that's what metastatic breast cancer really is. One of my favorite analogies is we're like monkeys in the jungle who are swinging from vine to vine. You swing from medication to medication because there is no cure for stage four cancer, obviously. So we just keep trying medications and we ride them out until they no longer work. So every three months I'll get a new PET scan or a CAT scan to see what the cancer is doing. And we learned that Ibrance had failed me, which is like one of the most popular drugs out there right now for stage four. So then I moved on to a pill called Zolota, which is basically like an oral chemotherapy that failed me. 
And we saw that I have a couple spots in my liver right now. So I'm back on chemotherapy. And luckily, science is incredible. There is a European company called Paxman that does cold caps. So I wear a cap on my head that helps me maintain my hair during chemotherapy. And I did it a few years ago with my initial diagnosis. And back then there was no Paxman machine to cool my scalp. So I had to wear hats that sat in a cooler full of dry ice and swap them out every 20 to 30 minutes during chemotherapy. So now science has come so far in a few years. Now I can just sit with the cap on my head. It's it's really cold. It's really uncomfortable, but it's totally worth it to be able to keep my hair and keep my life normal for my boys. So to anyone out there who is dealing with chemotherapy, please look into cold caps because they can save your hair because you guys have beautiful hair too. And I'm sure you have a huge listenership in Asia and the Pacific and Japan, right? So I don't know if it's as commonly known in your regions, but I, I love to spread the message on that as well. And we do have an episode on that if anyone's interested in listening. I actually have listened to that, Kristen. And I have oh. to say that I've never heard of cold caps. And I did see a photo that you shared previously on social media on how it looks like. And then mm-hmm. I also just yesterday shared a video with Janice about how the process of putting it on as well as taking it off looks like. But it's mm-hmm. obviously, it was very important for you to keep your hair because you didn't want to have so many changes happen to your boys who are so young at that stage, I assume. Exactly. It was, it's really hard to explain cancer even to them now. And we really don't even use the word cancer. So Bradley is seven, Christian is five, and Dean is only three. So it's tough because they know that mommy doesn't always feel great. Mommy sometimes has sick days. And we just tell them at that moment in time what's going on. So at some point, I know we'll answer conversation with them before they hear it from someone else in the community or at school. I'm honestly dreading that point. And I think that's going to be one of our upcoming episodes is we're going to probably bring on a child psychologist and say, how do you have this conversation? Because we're not experts. And it's something that I dread and I fear because I don't want to break my kids' hearts. And I don't have a crystal ball, even though we know that this disease can be a three-year median lifespan. I feel like I still have a lot of life to live and I still have a lot to do behind the microphone and just in life in general. So I don't want to have a conversation with them about cancer and death when, like we just talked about, look how far science has come as well. Look how far the research has come for HIV and AIDS. People were dying from that in the 90s. And now people just live with it. Like it's a chronic disease. And I hope and I wish and I pray that that's where we're going to be with cancer very soon. And you know what? I'm like, oh, guess what, boys? You know what? We don't have to have this conversation because mommy's going to be okay. She's probably going to be on medication for life, but here for your graduations and high school and your proms and as college applications. So that's my mindset. And I know that a lot of people in the medical field think I'm crazy (laughs) or I'm in denial. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to focus on the positives and have that hope. Absolutely. I I think hope is what keeps us all going even on the darkest days, right? And I just want to say to all of us here right now, and I'm sure to your listeners as well, it's so clear that you're a glass half full kind of woman and you've got such a positive attitude. And I'm honestly so in awe of how you're so bold of taking on this 
terminal illness head on. But of course, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you have sick days, you have days where you feel low, even exhausted as well. But we'd just like to hear from you. What keeps you going on those dark days? What keeps you feeling uplifted and what makes you hopeful? So I have a couple books that I always refer to, Radical Remission and Radical Hope. They're written by Dr. Kelly Turner. They're incredible for anybody who's dealing with cancer, especially terminal one. They talk about stories where people have been giving really dire diagnosis and they turn it around and they change their lifestyle or they change their mentality and they're still here and they're still thriving. Those hardcore evidence stories really help me when I'm really down to say, if they can do it, so can I, right? I also have an incredible support system. I have my husband who's been amazing through this all. He also lost his father and his brother to colon cancer. So he's been through it. He's seen it before and he just knows what to say to me at the right time. He can almost look at me and know like, I want to talk about it or I don't, which is great. Uh, I have an amazing circle of best friends who support the heck out of me and same with my coworkers. I always have someone who's there with me at chemo who know, like I love chewy candy when I'm sitting there with that cold cap on. So I don't get a brain freeze. And then I really enjoy my escapes. So my escapes are exercise. I love hit training. I love lifting weights. I don't love cardio all that much. I don't love to run or bike. As a previous dancer, I think I don't really enjoy anything that's kind of monotonous. <laughs> so if I'm not exercising, I'm reading a book or I'm binging shows on Netflix. Right now, my husband and I, we just finished The Crown and we just are on the last season of Good Girls on Netflix. I totally recommend those shows. They're very fast moving. They're really high energy and you can't really be on your phone or with your kids or you'll miss something. <laughs> Word of advice. So I think those are the activities that really keep me going. And of course, the podcast, the emails and the direct messages I get from my viewers and from women like you all over the world are just incredible. And to watch our podcast climb the charts all over the world, it's incredible. Like if, if I get an email saying, oh my gosh, you're charting in South America or in Malaysia. It just totally makes my day because I'm thinking to myself, who's listening to my podcast in Malaysia? And now I know right. it's incredible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's what really keeps me going. And I encourage everybody to find your own outlet. A lot of people seek out therapy. I like to say that wine is my therapy. <laughs> and having those conversations with my friends and family really keep me going. I do need to get in touch with a therapist. I've tried in the past and they feel like they've all kind of run their course, but it's another thing that I need to keep going. Yeah, and you've spoken very candidly, Kristen, about your strong support system, whether it's from family and your best friends, your tribe, as well as at work, right? Just wanted to touch on the fact that while dealing with all of this, you're also, you know, like we mentioned, mom, wife, but also a full-time career woman. So what has mm -hmm. that support been like for you, especially while you're dealing with all this and presumably managing chemotherapy while still working full-time? How has that looked like for you, especially during times of COVID now? I'm so lucky to work for a company who very much values health and well-being. And I think that COVID really helped a lot of companies worldwide understand the importance of mental health and well-being. I'm very lucky because when I was first diagnosed in 2017 or 18, my manager at the time was 
such an empathetic manager. She was, let me know what you need. Let me know when you need time off. Nothing's too much right now. If you want to take six months off, do whatever you need to do. And the fact that she was that lovely with me and that understanding and so empathetic, I said to myself, I'm not going to stop working. I want to be around this woman because she's such a source of light and positivity. I worked through chemotherapy pregnant with her, Carmen O'Shea, and she's still like such an inspiration and an incredible leader to me. So you who are leaders right now, please take a page out of her book and try to put yourself in that person's shoes. And while it's very difficult to understand the impact of cancer within someone's family, I can assure you it is devastating and it rocks your world. It turns your world upside down. And she really sat and thought about what can I do to help her family right now? She was incredible. They sent a meal train to my house. So my coworkers were sending me dinners so I didn't have to cook. My husband and my children always had a home-cooked meal, which was incredible. And they also would send me like the nicest, most thoughtful things when I was in that chemo chair or at radiation. It was either like a, a dance video they would record and send my way because I know I love to dance or they were sending me pictures where they were all holding up signs saying, we're with you. You got this. Just really, really heartwarming things that were so, so thoughtful. I really encourage you to do that because it really, really helped me mentally get through those days that were so dark and depressing and, you know, just not knowing the outcome of what was going to happen. And I have a new manager now and he is the same exact way. He's incredible. His name is Mike Thieker and I'm supporting him. I'm his enablement and knowledge lead for our sales value advisory team for the HR line of business. He's been incredible too. He's so understanding, so thoughtful, and he gets it. He's not you know, asking me, Hey, your husband has COVID make sure you put sick time in the system or make sure you put vacation days in. He's like, whatever you need, just let me know. That's what he's focused on. He's an incredible leader. He's also so thoughtful. I'm just overwhelmed at how lucky I am to be at a company who values health and well-being. So please, 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 if you're a manager, if you have any sort of strategy role in your human resource department at work, please instill these values into your organization or your leadership skills because I am such a diehard fan for both of these leaders now. I would do anything for them at the drop of a hat. And if they weren't this way, I don't think I'd be able to say the same. I don't think I would have worked through chemo and I that's what I'm doing right now too. It's it just makes life so much easier and it makes your diagnosis so much simpler. And it makes you feel like you really have someone helping you fight in the same corner with you, which is what you need. It's, it's just incredible. So if you're listening, please, please be an empathetic leader. <laughs> and so on the topic of support system as well, just diving a little bit deeper, Kristen, there's no rule book on how people can support their loved ones who have mm-hmm. been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and they might not know how to react or respond. The feeling of utter helplessness, I would say, of wanting mm-hmm. to help 
or do or say something, but not actually being sure of where to start. And sometimes it feel like even addressing an elephant in the room. And so just wanted to take this time to dive a little bit deeper into what are some things that a loved one can do to support those with a terminal illness or diagnosis? So this, this is a tricky question because of like the way I decided to deal with my diagnosis. I never get offended by anyone saying X, Y, or Z to me. I always take it with a grain of salt and, you know, I'm okay with people saying anything to me. Now I know that other people with cancer or terminal illness feel very differently. And one of the things that drives people crazy in the metastatic breast cancer community is when people say, oh, you have a terminal illness. Yeah. But you know what? We could all be hit by a bus tomorrow. Now, when people say this to me, I'm like, yep, you're right. And I just go on my way. When you're in our shoes and you constantly have the weight of your world on your shoulders, just waiting for the doctor to say, you may only have a couple more months or a couple more weeks to live. It's really heavy and it's hard to live with. And cancer is sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, but it's a slow and painful death. And a lot of people in our shoes would rather be hit by the bus and go out and live their life every day without this hanging over their head, if that makes sense. So I think you need to be really careful and read the person that you're speaking with, which can be very difficult to say. So I'd like to tell people just stick with really safe things to say. So if you or the patient is a religious person and say, I think you're very strong. I'm keeping you in my prayers. That's always huge. Or if you want to talk, I'm always here for you. A lot of people hate when people say, let me know if there's anything I can do because cancer patients typically won't reach out and say, oh, this is what I need. So sometimes people say, you know, offer to do something, say, you know, my neighbors, for example, are wonderful. They're part of my support system here. They'll text me and say, hey, we have the boys outside playing. Why don't you send the boys out? That's super helpful for treatment because I'm here and I'm exhausted. If you want to offer to help, say, you know, can I pick up the kids from school? Do you want to send the kids over for a play date so you can rest? Give concrete examples of how you can actually help instead of just saying, let me know what you need or let me know if I can do anything. Yeah, I I think that's so true. I remember when my mom was not well, one of her friends just said, you know what? Whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, because sometimes we're, you know you might be shy, she just offered to say, I'm going to boil you chicken herbal soup. And that's what she did. She boiled chicken herbal soup, I don't know, once every week or something and just kind of made arrangements with my family to wow. pick it up and send it to my mom in the hospital. But it was so actionable and she didn't mm. ask my mom what can I do for you instead she's just like I know this is going to be good for you you're not going to take time to make it yourself so mm-hmm. I'm going to do it for you all you have to do is just consume it because you know it's good for your body and I found that so refreshing and this is something I personally noticed as a caretaker I would say if you make the the patient think about oh what is it that I might want help they might not do it right right uh, but on the other hand if you offer to do something like this for example, what you mentioned your your neighbors did for you. It's so much more helpful. That's that's an amazing example. I love that so much. So Kristen, you've imparted some really good advice on how we can be friends and to be that support system for those who are in need. But, you know, I'd like to actually ask you if you could go back in time and tell yourself one advice when you started on this journey, would there be any advice that you would say to yourself? Yes, I would say... Stop focusing on the past 
and blaming myself for getting cancer. So I'm always looking for the why, you know, I hate to say why me, why me, but unfortunately it creeps into my thoughts very frequently. And I wonder why did this happen and how did this happen? And I will go back and nitpick in my past and really think about what did I do to get cancer? And unfortunately, it's not the case because there's still so much we don't know. There's a very strong chance that it's genetic. There's a very strong chance that it's environmental. As a woman and someone who's organized and always trying to control everything, I want to know what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? I need to stop blaming myself. A lot of times I think about like, how did I bring these three beautiful boys into this world who may lose their mom at a very young age? I felt guilty and I shouldn't because it's not my fault that I got cancer. And I can't explain why still to this day, like it wasn't my fault, <laughs> but the guilt is still there. So I would go back and tell myself, like, do not ever spend more than five minutes thinking about what you did wrong. Focus on how to continue to enlighten and inspire and keep the positive mindset and know that I will be here for my son's graduation and I will be here to dance with them at their weddings. That's what I need to focus on instead of why me, right? Oh, yeah. And so, Kristen, as we're wrapping up the episode as well, there is one question that we like to ask our guests. And that question for you is, what's the one thing you recently explored that surprised you? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it would be COVID and marriage. So my husband was diagnosed with COVID while I was in Key West at a bachelorette party just last month. He was home with the boys. And marriage is such a wonderful institution, but it's also very, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of compromise that goes into a marriage, right? And there's so many external factors that will test your marriage. John and I have been married for 10 years and we've been through a lot together. Mm-hmm. The passing of his brother, the passing of his dad, me getting cancer, me getting a terminal cancer diagnosis. And then he got COVID bad. He was in the hospital. Our oldest son Bradley had it as well. And it really, really put a strain on your marriage with all of that stress. And it really forced me to take a step back and look at the world very differently and think about how far we've come in terms of our communication style, how we compromise, how we make decisions, how we co-parent. It's a lot. And I think that I've never really reflected on how strong of an individual we both are and how well we work together and how we're instilling those skills and mechanisms, like creating a toolkit for our own kids on how to make their own lives work later in life. It was fascinating to me to look back and say, oh my gosh, like we're really strong individuals. It's incredible we haven't gotten divorced over all of this stress because marriage can be really hard and we've had some really serious disagreements. And I think it's important for people to really take a step back and reflect on your own marriage and maybe go see a marriage counselor. So I hope I answered your question. It's something that's just occurring to me now as we have this conversation because the COVID thing is so new. You know, you cannot control life 
and what it throws at you, but you can certainly respond in a positive way. And that's what really matters. I think that's such a great way to to wrap up this episode, Kristen. And it's really such a good reminder for us that as we've seen this year itself, there has been so many things, especially with COVID, that has completely just flipped our lives upside down. And it made us realize even more that life can be so fragile. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's with what we have, it's up to us to make the most out of it. So as we're wrapping up, we just want to ask you, do you have any other final parting words to our listeners um, of the Explore This podcast out there? I do. I, I would like to say continue to listen to these beautiful, inspirational, intelligent women. They're doing incredible things for this world. I love to see other people who are out there trying to educate and inspire people and share their knowledge. You guys are amazing. And I think I would love to leave you with my favorite quote from Maya Angelou. My favorite quote is, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So as you become leaders in life, as you build your families and you start to have children or even just, you know, at a speaking engagement, always, always, always left people better than you found them. Wow. That just gives us so much food for thought. And we just want to appreciate you and to thank you affirm all that you're doing right now and the message that you're sending out with your podcast, with your message, with who you stand for as a whole. So thank you so much for your time, Kristen. That's all the time we have for today. You have been so incredibly empowering and inspiring. And we just love your authenticity and vulnerability in making the best of life despite having your world turned upside down by this disease. Thank you for reminding us to be empathetic, to make others feel as how we would expect to be treated. And of course, to the ladies out there, remember to check your breasts once a month. So thank you so much for that reminder, Kristen. Of course. Thank you both. I really appreciate you having me on today. I had a blast with you both. And last but not least, where can our listeners find you? You can visit my website, which is makingthebreastofitpod.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. And we look forward to hearing more light, fun, inspiring, and more importantly, empowering episodes coming from you. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Janice. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! Thank you.